Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. Episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And my name's David Parker. David, are you a sentimental skin job? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> almost defines me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I am too. We're pretty actually. sentimental guys. Yeah. Don't let the uh, gruff exterior fool you. Yeah, yeah. And the <laughs> basically overwhelming alphaness, I suppose. <laughs> that's, that's us. <laughs> Don't let that fool you. No. No. Soft insides. Although, funnily enough, in the film that we're going to talk about today, that's a pejorative. Yeah. Against well, I mean, the replicants can be a pejorative from from certain kinds of people. That wasn't the pejorative part, though. The skin job. Yeah. The, yes. Because uh, in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, our follow up to Blade Runner that we're going to be doing today, I, I think it's the coroner guy says it when he's like finding Rachel's remains. Right. I, th- I think he's like, oh, this is a real sent- sentimental skin job. <laughs> and there's a great little look that Ryan Gosling K gives him <laughs> where he's like, fuck you, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. because he's so calm, you just get it in a in Yeah, a Ryan half Gosling look, has eh? got some serious, you know, cold, stern vibes oh, yeah. going on here. Oh, so good. So, yes, uh, this is kind of, a, I guess, a spiritual part, too, in the sense that we're doing the sequel of Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049. Which is a great film. Um, so I good. argue so much better than the first one. Well, I was thinking about this. Way. It's a, it's definitely a better story. Better cinematography. Yeah. I don't know if it's better or just that the technology is way better. So it looks right. way cooler. Did you notice there's kind of like various moments of homage to oh, yes. the first one in the uh-huh. sense of like they have the... The screens on the the odometer. And oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You look yeah. at like your kind of your cockpit. Yeah, right. You true. See the yeah, on the cockpits. There's still that old style. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, it it is. It's it's like everything's kind of blocky. Yeah, yeah. Right? On no. the computer, but <laughs> yeah. not on all the computers, and not on like the cool drone images yeah. or any of that. But like the interfaces that the pilots mm, would yeah. use are all very old school. Yeah, it's a present interpretation of a past movie that's interpreting the future and then 30 years past that future yes yes <laughs> can't put it any more clearly than that i mean who knows maybe the great climate crisis will destroy the world mm. and we'll have to eat maggots for yeah. protein yeah true i it, this is definitely a better movie than blade runner i mean the acting is better and the story is better but it's like a very similar feel well, and that's the cool thing is that I feel like the spirit of the original Blade Runner is is captured and enhanced. And like 
this is what a great sequel should do, for, mm-hmm. especially for a fan favorite. Now, I've heard varying reviews on this because um, oh. one of my old roommates and best friends, Josiah, is a big Blade Runner fan. Sure. And we watched this together when it first came out. And he was somewhat disappointed in it oh, the first time. Okay, and he really loved the first movie. Did he like? What I was... think one of the things about this movie that you're kind of not expecting when you're watching it in theaters is how long it is. Oh right, yeah, it's almost three hours. Yeah, uh, so that that occurred. But I mean, my the second watch of this that I did uh, today actually was very enjoyable. Mm. Yeah, and reminded me why I enjoyed it so much in theaters as well. So I guess some some really big fans don't like the sequel, but I mean, so what was it mostly the length that Josiah didn't like, or was there anything I think, else? And they felt like the story was kind of slow, um, <laughs> which I was like, well, the first one was really slow. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sometimes fish swim. Uh, we'll have to ask Josiah again. Yeah, what fair. Like because that was years ago now, but I guess four years ago. I think it came out in twenty seventeen. 2017 or 2016? Uh, I feel like it was 2017. I remember seeing it. Because I also saw it in theaters for the first time. Right, so it must have been 2017. And then I watched it a couple days ago for this. And yeah, like at first we weren't quite sure if we were going to do 2049 after Blade Runner because it's cool, but it's like, will there be any new things to talk about? And I think after watching it again, I was like, yeah, you know what? There is enough different in 2049 for its own little you know, meditation. But I do, I would say if there's some things that you think we're just kind of blatantly missing in the Blade Runner story, maybe listen to the first, our episode on the original Blade Runner first, because we go pretty deep into like the whole replicant, is it or isn't it a person? Yeah, I don't think we're going to talk about that, that as much <laughs> no, this time. No, 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 no. Certainly... And it's not the focus of the story as much either. It, no. It, it, well, it actually, okay, I'll, I'll rephrase that. The meditation on is it or isn't it a person takes a really awesome turn yes like the the evolution of the question is well portrayed in this movie yeah yeah i think this is what great directors do is they they maybe take an interesting question i.e the one posed in the original blade runner and look at it very differently in in this particular context Mm -hmm. like there's nothing in the original blade runner that could ever make you think that this would be the sequel to Blade Runner. (laughs) True, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing. It's it's a very original story. Yeah, which I I enjoyed that it isn't iterative. Mm. It's building off of. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's the right way to put it because this film definitely takes ideas from the first movie and like kind of things that are introduced for a different reason in Blade Runner and then used in a different way in this movie, especially the memory stuff. Uh, was so good. So Blade Runner 2049 came out in either 2016 or 2017. <laughs> so pretty recent, though. And it stars Ryan Gosling. And Harrison Ford reprises his role of uh, Rick Deckard. And Anna DeArmas is in it. She's the Joy. She's the uh, video or the um, hologram. hologram AI. And it uh, Mackenzie Davis is the... Uh, prostitute actual actually she's the like in to the replicant revolution <laughs> yep yeah and then um jared leto is also he plays neander wallace the uh villain of the film and then i feel like there's like a bunch of other actors that aren't famous but you know they're around and then oh and uh sorry robin wright plays lieutenant joshi uh right. ryan Go- k ryan gosling's boss at the beginning for the first half of the film 
And directed by potentially the oh, yeah. best living Canadian director. The winter scenes are filmed in Montreal. I know. Oh, really? Much. Oh, yes. very yes. cool. Yes. Which is very cool. For Where uh, were the Las Vegas scenes filmed? I do not know. I, 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 again, we don't do a lot of research for this podcast. <laughs> so just before we do a plot rundown, I just want to say another big thank you to all of our listeners out there. You can um, get a hold of us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group. I mean, the group we have, can they send us messages on it? Yes. Okay. Can. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that because we haven't gotten any. So <laughs> maybe that's the reason. Oh, crap. Uh, you can send us an email, reallytruefiction at gmail.com. You can subscribe on all major podcasting apps and platforms. And uh, if you do like Really True Fiction, we would really love if you could leave us a rating or a review, as that's a really good way to move up the charts and have the show grow. And I want to give another shout out to our listeners in India. It's kind of humbling and uh, surreal that we have so many people downloading our show in <laughs> a place so far away that I've <laughs> True, never been. That we've know? never been to. Yeah, it's really cool, actually. It's so weird to think about your voice being heard in India. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. So, David, since you watched this today, uh, why is this movie called Blade Runner 2049 and what happens in it? <laughs> okay, so Blade Runner 2049, obviously a projection into the future, but a bit of a, you know, homage to to the original Blade Runner, which was an 89. So, you know, throw a nine there on there at the end, but try to get it as far enough in the future. that 89? Or no, 19, it was 2019. Yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. So it's, uh, you know, this is supposed to be set 30 years after Blade Runner, the, f- the first film, and we're immediately introduced to a new Blade runner obviously we got text not the scrolling star wars text but the text at the beginning to kind of situate us uh in our world we're in a dystopian world in which the climate has essentially collapsed in on itself ecosystems have collapsed but there there's a wallace industries which has invented a way to um, and they've taken over the tyrell basically yeah not just tyrell though i mean tyrell kind of was shut down after there was a, a huge rebellion of the replicants, which we're not really given any information on why that rebellion happened. <laughs> As per this franchise, so many hugely important things are just like kind of like tangentially mentioned. <laughs> well, and there again, we get a few mentions of this, which I really love, which is, is that why you aren't off world? Like the people that stay on earth are not, they're, they're not, you know, they're not the well-to-do. They're not the people who are succeeding in the economy of the future. They're stuck on Earth because they can't leave or they have some kind of physical problem or they're poor, whatever it might be. So we're introduced to someone who's obviously a replicant, uh, played by Ryan Gosling, uh, who goes by K, which is part of his serial number because he is a replicant. And he is tasked with hunting down and killing old um, serial number replicants. So basically the replicants that we met in the original film, or maybe a little bit later, but essentially replicants that didn't have, that didn't age out, mm-hmm. which we saw happening with Rachel. So we know the Tyrell Corporation was doing this. The effect is that there was some, seemingly some kind of rebellion, and that was put down. Now, Ryan Gosling is a replicant 
who hunts down the remainders of this kind of I just have to say, I love that they made him a replicant. Yes. Like, it's just like, right off the bat, within, like, within 10 minutes of the movie, you know he's a replicant. There's no question. And he's a Blade Runner at the same time. And it's like, oh, wow. Because with, sorry to derail, but I think this is interesting, with the whole is he or isn't he replicant question of Deckard... You know, going into this movie, it was going to be like, "Whoa, what's the main guy? What's he?" And so to subvert expectations that quickly and that heavily, he is is a replicant. So it's like, "Oh, that means they have to be doing something else with this movie," you know? Which Which I think was really cool. Weave a pretty cool, I would say, you know, almost Nolan esque twists and turns, uh, and you know, back backtracks and all that kind of stuff, but. The cinematography, I just got to comment on from the beginning to the end of this film, similar to Arrival, which is a personal favorite of mine, just stunning. I believe it won the Oscar. It did. Yeah. And it deserved it, I think. It was just absolutely incredible. Some of the scenes... Anyway, so we're introduced to Kay. He is hunting down a replicant. Uh, The replicant is in this farmhouse. Uh, there's, you know, some interesting discussion. Kay manages to kill his target, takes his eyes out. Because Kay is a way stronger replicant. Yes. He's much newer. He's like basically the newest model or at least like the strongest model. I don't know if it's the newest. Well, he's 30 years old, so he can't be that. Yeah, but they... But he he also grows up. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, So... Or does he? No, no. Sorry, his his memories are implanted, um, <laughs> so he doesn't grow up as a kid. But he has a, a new model, strong, and he knows that his memories are are false, but he still has them, right? Anyway, through a, pr- a process of kind of almost a detective novel, much better done in my opinion than the first one. We're introduced to a whole bunch of clues that lead us to the conclusion that K could be the first ever replicant born, being born from a replicant mother. Mm -hmm. Kay convinces himself of this through some detective And the replicant mother being Rachel. Yes, being Rachel. So therefore, Deckard being the father, we're led to assume. And this this buildup is pretty cool. There's all these revelations. We're like, oh man, like, must, he must be uh, this kind of almost messianic, like, character for the replicants. And then we're given a... You know, a double take, and it turns out he's not at all. But he still acts in the best interest of replicant kind, we'll call them, at the end of the movie, and introduces Deckard to his daughter, who is the messianic character, almost, for the replicants. The first, you know, a child is born. And there's there's a lot of biblical references The first um, procreation between replicants. Or we don't know whether it's between replicants or not. Well, yeah, at least one replicant. At least one replicant. And, and then there's maybe Deckard. Well, this is the interesting part, right? Because <laughs> you brought this up. I'll, yeah. I'll, there's a conversation between Wallace and Deckard in which Deckard says, were you programmed to fall in love with Rachel or was it love? And that, but they don't they don't actually yeah, yeah, yeah. answer that They're question. They're just leaving it dangling. That's so, so And I think that was really cool of them to do that because it was a great fan you know, mm-hmm, theory about whether or not Deckard was a replicant. So leaving that hanging, very, very good filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so the plot is pretty it's, – it's drawn out. Um, but whereas I would say in the first one, 
the drawn out felt kind of long. Mm-hmm. This one, you're just enjoying the cinematography so I, much. And oh I, yes, and, and I, I liked the tension more in this one. The tension, tension was better, and also the romance is better. Yes, and yeah. the romance, interestingly enough, is between Kay, a replicant, and a hologram. <laughs> yeah, which is just, I think, incredible. I think it's better than her. I think it's actually better than any other films I've watched mm-hmm. that ask the question, "Can you fall in love?" Yeah, because technology it's... and it humanizes right. replicants in a way that didn't happen yeah, yeah, yeah. at all. Like you mentioned in our last one, the the piano playing scene, and that is a humanizing moment. But I think there's there's no more humanizing moment than when when Joy's stick, USB stick, for lack of a mm. better term, is the emanator. On. Yeah, the witch, the emanator, the emanator is stepped on, yeah. and destroyed. But before it's destroyed, she says she loves it. Yeah, or and it, but it like cuts her off in the middle. Yeah, I love you. Yeah, <laughs> right? like, like oh, oh, yeah, it was. Great. That is that's a gut punch of yeah. emotion right there. So, yeah, you're right. That was a better. They did that better in this movie. Yeah. So, all in all, I I feel like a lot of the plot was used to kind of again ask this question of what is it to be human. Is it in human nature to enslave? I mean, there's this philosophic question presented by Wallace where he says all civilizations have relied on disposable mm-hmm. human labor, yeah. but we lost the appetite for slavery. Yeah. Basically, like, we don't have the nerve to do what we need to do to advance. And he's like, we're only on nine planets. We yeah. should be ruling the it's stars. Embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> there's some really cool thought experiments yeah. just sprinkled throughout here. And especially because he's only in the movie like for a total of about seven or eight minutes. Wallace yeah. has a quite an intense presence. Hey? Which is really cool yeah. that they were able to do that. But basically, I would say that the entire plot is presented to us in a, in a very, um, very mythological sense right mm. you know there's the, yeah. the virgin birth there's the you know the slave slaves being led out of bondage right there's you know the fault fa- there's the father daughter father son motif yeah 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 and, and i have to say with the plot twist because when when about halfway through the movie almost two-thirds k starts thinking it's him who was the little baby that was born i'm thinking to myself um, would they really reveal it like that? Like, probably, is that what you were thinking? Yeah, the first time I watched it, I was like, uh, "Is it him? Is it really him?" Like, it's hard for me to see how a movie could make it have its reveal be that early, or at least I'm anticipating another reveal. Interesting, because right? I was I was very much suspension of disbelief in the movie right. when I was watching it, so I didn't think about that actually. Well, it was. Um, so I actually I think that there was a. Um, part of me that was trying to figure out who might be the kid oh but i didn't guess who it was no i mean I, it's such a good yeah, yeah, yeah. uh reveal she's only the in the there. film for one it's a great scene but she's only in one scene earlier in the movie and so and you don't but, expect it at all but once you think back on some of her yeah. lines <laughs> which it makes total the sense. best twist yeah. right the best twists are ones that when you you know you look back on you're like well of course but you never kind of guess yeah so, I guess um, we might as well start with Kay, or Joe, as he later <laughs> develops the name. But I was going to note, just as a framing for his character, I think probably my favorite part about this movie, as like thema- thematically, was I, I thought Kay had the most humanity of any character in the movie, human or replicant. There's these awesome scenes where he's... Um, 
smelling the soup, right? And like trailing his hand, like looking at flowers. And I just, and like the way that he, um, it's hard to exactly articulate it. When he's going through his baseline tests, when he's listening to the prejudicial things that people at work say about replicants, you just catch... He's walking into his house and being mocked on the way into his house. You just catch this half look of anger and sadness all in one because he's... Kay is actually interested in living, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a... He clearly wants to be the baby because he feels like it will justify what he already feels about the world, which well, is that he exists. Well, remember how it's like you don't have people who have, if if you're born you have a soul. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Like he believes that, well, which is why it's so devastating for him when it's revealed to him that he isn't hasn't been mm. born, and it's just kind of like a a sit down and take notice moment. Though I would say that it makes his decision to help out all the more incredible. Right. Yeah. When he finds out that he's not the baby that was born to Rachel, and that the baby, the girl's memories were implanted in him. I, this I didn't quite get this in the plot. Were they implanted in him to keep the memories safe and to keep her no, safe? No, no. I think that it was because they wanted to implant it in someone who could eventually return them to her. I mean, it's one piece of the puzzle, is what we're told. Mm. It's not made clear at all why. Yeah, that was all what we're was, told is it's one piece of the puzzle. That was what was confusing to me about the story. And maybe so. In the narrative, they point out that that a little boy and a little girl had the exact same DNA match. Right? Was he supposed to be the little boy? I think so. But. Was he ever a little boy? That's the question, right? <laughs> okay, I don't know. so it's not answered in the movie. No, I didn't miss it somewhere in a, in a in a piece of dialogue. Where I think like, I think the memory that is implanted in him is her memory of the horse. Yes. Oh, for sure. And um, and and he finds the horse when he goes there, so it's it's great. It's a great MacGuffin, right? It just takes you right <laughs> yeah, off the yeah, trail. Exactly. But it's a little confusing because the reason that. Uh, what was her name? Anna, the girl, the actual baby, the the daughter of Deckard and Rachel. They put her memories in Kay. Did they think that in the future they might need a strong replicant to help them out? And the best way to do that was to make him feel like he was the baby? Maybe. Right? I mean, we're not, we're not told, yeah. right? No, it's it isn't. It's all speculative. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, you, you just kind of have to make some educated, logical guesses. I would, yeah. I mean, like, that's half the fun, like... They're on nine worlds. What are those worlds like? Are they being terraformed? Are they like he's basically? But it's just off world. Yeah, like (laughs) we don't get to know anything about it. Also, these replicant kids who are doing all the like getting the nickel for this for the spaceships Mm. or whatever. It's like okay, but why? Right. Yeah. Like, why do you need? You're just like getting your toes dipped into this bigger, broader world, which I think is the best storytelling. Sure. Yeah. When I mean. Some people get lost in it, but let's take uh, Robert Jordan, for example. Like, the reason people love The Wheel of Time so much is that every time he tells you about something new in the world and goes over it, it reveals a whole bunch more of a possible world. Right, explore, sure, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Harry Potter or whatever it is, right? That You read the the beginning of Harry Potter and it's like, oh, the word muggles is just used <laughs> yeah. offhand and you're left to wonder what a muggle might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what did you think about Kay? throughout the movie i mean i've always i've had a, a man crush on ryan gosling for, for a <laughs> sure long yes like, he's, he's very good looking i've i've brought this up he's it smoldering isn't, it isn't this even whole that movie he's, he's smoldering it, it isn't even that he's good looking because like he's got kind of weird eyes and like he's 
you know, I'm sure he's good looking, but but it's more like <laughs> his acting just blows me away. It mm. blew me away in Blue Valentine. It blows me away in Crazy Stupid Love. It blows me away in Drive. Like right, yeah. whatever movie he's. And then this is the same guy who did the Notebook, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's good shit. He's got a range, and I just love him. So watching him in this movie is always just a pleasure because it. I feel the same way watching him as I do watching Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm. I, like, it's yeah. great acting. So now I'm thinking again, plot stuff. Was it just an accident that he got sent to the farm that happened to have Rachel be buried there? I mean, whether it was an accident or orchestrated by like the, this underground, we don't sure. know. Right. But what we do know is that his like police chief, let's call her, or what, whatever, sergeant, mm-hmm. or whatever she is, She's very committed to the idea that replicants and humans are separate. Mm-hmm. They have to be separate in her mind. Yeah, she works quite hard to say that this, like, the fact that a replicant might have had a baby, because there's a that scene where they find they go there, they found the body, they found the bones, they found like the uh, what C-section scalpel marks. Yeah, and then they also find a serial number. And then there's a line about wallace gives us a line of the one thing he hasn't mastered yet is replicant procreation yeah like and, the, and for some reason tyrell figure it figured it out but he didn't that's the one piece of tech or r&d he didn't get from tyrell yeah. when he got the corporation right so that's wallace's um motivation the whole film is to catch well deckard to find out as much as he can about rachel so that they can find out how to advance this procreation technology so they can just birth replicants to make slaves basically which, which is really i think fascinating because it's essentially it's essentially a children of a nod to children of men like mm. human procreation is something special yeah right yeah, something yeah. unique and now that the replicants can do it and also it makes so a lot special. of sense like it would take a lot more energy to do this synthetically than it would to do it biologically mm. right because synthetically you have you have to build each piece but the, the human body just does it automatically, mm-hmm. right? Well, I mean, I guess at least within this world, that's the case. Right. I don't know. Um, so anyway, K. So this is where they capture the mood of the original Blade Runner so well. He's got almost identical kind of a mood to Deckard, right? He's kind of like hardened, killer, got a soft side, but doesn't like to show it. Not a lot of things phase him. But he's got these weird proclivities. <laughs> Deckard, in this case with Rachel, and Kay in, in the or Joe in the case with Joy. And I think um, it's funny that the only person he is soft with, maybe maybe he is with Deckard at the end, but the only person he's even kind of like unprofessional with is this hologram. Mm. And it makes me think of the hidden lives that we all lead like when no one's looking, right? When when it's just us all by ourselves, what are the thoughts that go through our head? What are the activity what are our most personal activities that we kind of keep to ourselves, right? Mm. And in this case it's kind of a weird fetishized, you know, thing except he doesn't treat her like a sex object at all. No. Well, like he he wants a partner. Yeah. And he treats her like a partner. Mm-hmm. And she's able to react like one. Yeah, that's an interesting point because one of the really cool motifs I got from Kay is when he lies to Joshi or Robin Wright's character. So when he fails his baseline test, which is another really cool, like instead of the Voight-Kampf test, they get baseline tests. Yeah. When, so it's like 
when we know you're a replicant, we want to make sure you're not going to lose it. Yeah. <laughs> so you do these baseline <laughs> tests, which is great. Those scenes are cool. But like he lies to her saying, oh, I killed the kid. Because that was like his, what she told him to do, right? Like I found the baby, I got, I killed him. And that like buys him her good graces for like 48 hours, I think she says, because he failed his baseline test, yeah, right? Because she can't, she can't stop him from being hunted. Yeah, if, if you fail your baseline, you're like, a, well. Well, he's, he's allowed a second attempt at the baseline if he's able to yeah. figure his shit out, essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is interesting. Like, it's it's essentially like we don't want you to feel too much emotion. But, but see, what is that? Like, he lied. Yeah. Right? Like, he, he as a replicant, he lied because he knew it would work for a different social motivation, a well, social psychological motivation. And that, I think, dovetails with your point, Nice, because that is the hidden thing that Joshi doesn't know about, right? In the way that you have hidden lives, you do things on your own. To tell an untruth is kind of... Joshi can only judge the content of his statement based on what she knows about him, right? And so she's kind of blinded by the fact that she doesn't know him. Because I bet you if she knew him better, she might have a more holistic interpretation of what he might be motivated to do. Well, part of it is like, does she actually want to get to know him? Because does she even see him as a him? Or is he just... No, um, I don't think she does. Yeah. I don't think she does. But it does show, to your point, that... Well, I mean, it's a little bit harder to fool people who know us really well. Like yes. that's a that's yes. a t- True. bit of a cliche or a, a a trite insight, but nevertheless, and especially it's because she has a bit of a prejudice against replicants. Not as bad as some of the other characters, but like, think about it. He's able to just say, "I killed the kid," and she just and she just him. believes him, and buys him time because it's so what she wants. And so it doesn't even occur to her that Kay could have more complicated intentions going on here well, or a more complicated life on his own that right. might give him other reasons for not telling the truth to her. Like maybe he doesn't want to die, which yeah. is what she's going <laughs> to basically... Well, yeah, so it's... Which is she also, has no also excuse. this theme from Blade Runner 1 to yeah. this one, this desire not to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I find Kay, I like it. There's a rich inner life there. Mm-hmm. Um, I love his confidence. Like he's just right. utterly competent. Like he's almost, he is machine like in his level of competence in fighting. I also love when his way of persuading Decker is letting him punch him in the face repeatedly until you know that he comes or Decker comes to the conclusion he's not going to be able to beat this guy and this yeah. guy's not here to kill him. Right. Yeah, that was cool. So, I mean, yeah, I like that point about uh, the more hidden life for these things. But I think from a philosophical point of view, I thought it was perfect storytelling to have the one character who's obviously a replicant kind of have the most edge of the periphery, like the periphery humanity. So Kay is just super attached to his case like a detective is. He can't, he knows where to go look next and he can't let things go. He's clearly affected by the visceral things around him. So you can tell he's just, his heart goes out to all those kids in the orphanage Mm -hmm. that are basically slave labor themselves there. 
like I mentioned, the soup and the flowers. So he's got like this aesthetic appreciation when no one's looking. He, again, love like he prefers the conversation he has with Joy. You can tell that he likes the fact that she teases him a little bit. You know, he also so, loves bringing. I, I, so this is a weird dichotomy, and I wanted to. We'll get to this. Maybe we talk about joy. Mm. I don't know if we're going to, but there's also love, joy, and love. Yeah, and there's a very interesting dichotomy there that <laughs> right. I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No hope, though. I guess. Right? And symbolism. Yeah. Right. Well, what is a person? This question that we, <laughs> you know, age old that we certainly didn't solve, but took a took our own views on in the last one. Again, if you're an outside perspective and you watch Kay's life, it it would be it, it was impossible for me to watch that movie and not feel like he was a person. Yeah. You know, yeah. even though he was like pretty austere and and serious like you mentioned, he just showed so much softness to so many things that were clearly not a performance because there wasn't like anyone around. But like, you know, I've smelled a delicious soup on the stove before that's maybe oh that's nice and i mean maybe this is the deeper question philosophically what's the fundamental difference between those sensations being programmed into you by a creator and being programmed into you by millions of years of evolution and yet that seems to be like the moral cutoff right you are created by a person so you're not a real person and this person was the artifact of millions of years of, you know. And but it's I, interesting. That's not the, because uh, I don't think you can make that argument, right? That's not the argument they're making in this film. No, 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 I know. But I'm asking. Like the, the value that is being given to them is the value of the soul. Yeah. Right? The, uh, well, that certainly is still the motivating force of the movie. Yes. Right. Because Kay yeah. asks that, like, has a soul, I guess. But again, there's. I would argue there's more Platonism. Right. <laughs> there, no, no, no. Right? Well, I'm just saying that I don't think you can make the argument that there's any difference between being created by a human and being created by a Yeah, evolution. so I guess maybe if this ever happens in real life, and it might be long after you and I are gone, but I think it's still fun to think about, what do you think would be the argument of being able to treat something different if it's human-made versus... I don't think there is. Like, right. I think that's my... I think why... I mean... I guess this this actually raises a really interesting question. Because Joy is human-made, too. Yeah. Right? Or even replicant-made. We don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe like everything's one... <laughs> replicant-made now. She's made one pass. And yet, uh, other than Kay, she had the next most humanity in the yeah. movie, it felt like. Well, and that's, I think, the most interesting part of the movie is that the most human characters are not human. Right? Sure. Because we, again, I, 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 I'll beat this dead horse. Like, we attribute things about a person based on how they behave we might say what you are gives you your specialness but i think it's much more what people do that affects us over time you know when we're not in our you know armchair philosophy thinking deeply about the nature of things in existence it's mostly just how people behave around me that influences what i think about them right and it actually brings up like the whole question that i think the vegetarian movement has a, mm. somewhat of a point on it's like well what us as humans makes us feel that the consciousness of animals is less than our own mm. and while i think there is a qualitative difference between the two and and i'm happy to argue that point there is a spectrum upon which it gets yeah. blurred right well i think that's the the real payoff of movies like blade runner and and philosophy in this area is that what used to be considered a category or a binary is is very clearly a gradient yeah or a spectrum, a spectrum. or a degree yeah. right 
and I, again, I don't want to make that into the buzzwordy of, of the current age, but yeah, like what is it? Freedom evolves or consciousness evolves or whatever Dennett uses this, right? Like, or degrees of freedom. Like maybe K is, we don't know because we, they probably programmed some fail safes. So maybe he's a little bit less free than an actual person, but maybe he's more free than other replicants, right? Like what, what degrees of consciousness would even in the sense that someone who is a educated person in their thirties might be more free than, you know, a four year old in poverty, (laughs) right? Like there's, I don't think we're tempted to say, Oh, because both of you, because the, the affluent privileged 30 educated 30 year old and the underprivileged four year old in poverty are both human. They're equally free. Like, I just don't think that that's, I'm not tempted to say that because of the essence, right. Of the fact that they're both human. I think there's definitely qualitative differences there to be made. And it's just like, maybe part of the problem is we just don't have a good scale, like units of freedom, right? Or units of consciousness. Yeah, maybe the the issue here is that we just don't have a way to measure. And like, this is a a great question because it's one that's asked in a lot of great sci-fi, which I guess is really what Blade Runner is, even though it's very dystopian, concentrated on, on Earth. Uh, which usually sci-fi isn't. But, I mean, I guess some people argue it's steampunk. There's a lot of different things that people (laughs) can argue. But I just love that these questions get asked. This is one of the best things fiction can do, right? Is it can take us out of our maybe paradigms and make us ask questions outside of our day-to-day reality that we can then bring into Mm -hmm. what we're living right now. And, and I guess we we are we do have a, an important question to ask ourselves, probably in your and I's lifetime, and is what is what to do about AI. Mm-hmm. And I think an extra step that they take, uh, again, the the beauty of this film is its subtlety in a lot of this stuff. I think both movies did this the philosophical stuff subtly quite well. K, all of the things that K does that endear him to me, he's not doing for an audience. So in in a definition we would use, he's being authentic. Right. Right? And so, it it again, it's just the wrong question to ask. Well, is he really being that way? Because, like... Are we? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, am I being authentic? I, I, you know, if someone watches me truly enjoy a song I'm playing... By yourself. By myself, do they think I'm faking it? or not you know it's it's it's, it seems like the wrong question like why would i unless unless we really do live in the truman show (laughs) where every single thing is orchestrated for somebody else to watch it Mm -hmm. uh which parsimony says unlikely (laughs) unless we are you know in that simulation yes you're right being played by some you know teenage alien well not getting too far down the unfalsifiable and unverifiable (laughs) simulation argument especially because i don't understand how our lives would change at all (laughs) if we found out we were or weren't right other than maybe we try to escape it that'd be interesting well i guess that's a question or can you hack it yeah right right? uh what what is cool is so k does all of these things that are charming and interesting and in a sense make me fall for him as a person let's say like someone who's got curiosity and interest and discretion and all of the thing and, and cunning, right? It's just all of the things that you might 
appreciate if they're used well by a, a good intentioned person. He's got all of them. So I guess I'm struggling with, and this could be a failure of imagination on my part. You might be more tapped into this. What are some of the things that people fear about that? About the stimulation? No, no, about like oh, a yeah, non-human, yeah, 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 yeah. Be, accepting a non-human into the human family, as it were, because of the way... Well, it, I think there might be a spiritual issue here, right? Because mm. like for religious people, I, I don't know if they... Th- they believe that God imbues beings or human beings with souls, right? Mm-hmm. And they also have this teleology, which is why Kay puts... wanted to be the baby born because he thought that gave him a soul. Exactly. So there's there's a, a deep religious significance, I suppose, to the idea of not being create man made, but being quote unquote God made. I think another thing would be, I mean, we've talked about this before, but like, what if humanity is just the birth canal for the machine world? Oh, there's right. there's an existential threat here, okay. which is if they're stronger and and faster and you know can survive better than we can, what do we have left to offer evolution? Right? We've we've yeah. essentially created something that is just better than us in every way. They're now at the pinnacle. Yeah, I guess psychologically, Blade Runner loads the dice a bit by making all of the replicants want to be people. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to something else. Or just be like, right. we're replicants and we're better. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Which there is a few kind of like nods to that. Uh, even uh, love saying to, I, like, I'm the best. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like literally the best of that has been made. I'm better than you. Well, that is cool too, because then that breeds a potential for like a civil war between the replicants. Right. <laughs> but I mean, like, I think that's the existential problem. Sure. Right? Is it is if we if we create something that is conscious, what purpose do we, I mean, what are we? There's a, there's a, there's a big question mark. Maybe there. we become dinner. Right. Like, <laughs> and I think that is a rather, I mean, it's kind of funny cause it's fairly egotistical, but I mean, it's something that we all do and it's mm-hmm. this desire to perpetuate ourselves. It's this, it's this quest for immortality that our genes seem to be on. It's the driving force of, of life itself is, is, perpetuating itself Mm -hmm. and you know i think that's why extinction is so haunting Mm. the idea of a a species going extinct like it it reached the end and there's something very visceral about the idea of humanity going extinct that is haunting yeah and i mean what better way for humanity to go to extinct than to you know frankenstein yeah it's really the frankenstein story well okay so for the first objection about the religious or the spiritual one, I, I I get it, but I think I think that's psychologically overcomable, especially if you take on like the throughout history there were other groups of people that were considered not worth saving, right? And that's kind of like for the most part that's been transcended. Now I know Christianity has built in a universalism that helps that quite a bit over some other religions potentially, but like my prediction would be, I guess the trick would just be not tell anyone. And then they'd never know. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, be, yeah. there's David and there's and there's uh, Mike, and which one's the replicant? Yeah, who I knows, don't know. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, so I don't know. Like uh, that's a tricky one for sure, but I think it's overcomable. Isn't part of it that people just want to feel special and like this is a way? I mean, I've always thought that racism was like on at its core this like really um, corrupted desire being a part of a group, mm. right? And But, like, instead of 
a good group, you become part of a group that hates other groups. Mm-hmm. And like, essentially, this is racism because there's no. Oh yeah. Well, it's certainly prejudice. Yeah, yeah, prejudice. Yeah. And and so, I think it's. I I mean, I've read a lot on this. It's this desire to create a world in which there's an us versus them and the replicants fulfill that desire. Mm. Yeah. I mean, ironically having replicants to hate would help with a lot of the racism. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It would make people care less about that if they were other people. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. actually one of the interesting, really interesting socio-political aspects of the TV show, the expanse. I, I know you've watched some of the expanse. True. I'll try not to give too many spoilers, but there's the nation of Earth, and then there's the nation of Mars, and then there's the nation of the Belt, right? Or the aspiring nation of the Belt is kind of more a bunch of principalities that are doing their best to, and they're kind of like yeah. under the control of Earth and yeah, Mars, yeah, yeah. but they're trying to and create so their own world. It's or just, not their own it's society. So one of the most fascinating things about the expanse is seeing people from all different races just hating a different planet. Yeah, which is filled of all different races. <laughs> you know, it's it's really interesting because the president in the expanse, the prejudice has transcended race long ago. Yeah, to become just like nationalistic. Well, uh, what planetary? Planetary. And yeah, it's, it's like what? <laughs> so it's interesting to see that because the scourge of racism has been so prevalent on Earth and it's so visceral, it's almost impossible to imagine that there'd be anything else that would be the primary form of. In well, and out group. It's, it's interesting, actually. <laughs> I've heard it said once that a lot of racism is actually just a desire to feel better than something. Mm-hmm. Like when you when you're in a really bad situation, you want to just feel better than someone. And we've talked about this in um, our Huck Finn episode. Yeah. But I'd like to point out that in this movie, we see another example of it when he's going up the stairs to his apartment. These obviously poverty-stricken degenerates mm-hmm. are are mocking him for being a skinhead, right. or a, well, not a skinhead, a skin. Oh, uh, uh, skin job, a skin job. Yeah, and it's just a good example of what we talked about before. Yeah. I just well, because bring it up. K is clearly better than these people, yes. and, like, well, it, and living better than yeah. them. He has his own apartment. Yeah, and and just emotionally better than them. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. in every every Q, every IQ, EQ, all the Qs, he's performing better than these humans who are, yeah, very prejudiced against him. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think if you're interested more in like our What Makes a Person Talk, our original Blade Runner, we went into a lot more and talked about Plato and essentialism. And so we don't need to rehash that here. But I, I do think it's awesome to see how much of k evoked subtle humanity in me while i was watching well, also it. how much k wants to be human mm-hmm. yeah yeah he, exactly. he wants to believe that he's got something tr- that transcends the machine yeah like, he wants to believe there's a ghost in the machine <laughs> yeah like yeah, really he, badly yeah he does which i think is why the end of the movie is so powerful when he realizes there isn't he still chooses to help and then Deckard, uh, and anyway. that death scene is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hope that it become, I wish this movie would become more iconic because I feel like it didn't get its just desserts when mm-hmm. it came out. It, it, it is, I think it's one it that will be in the pantheon. It will. It, it just, it needs time and revisits and, and someone, somebody to, famous on the internet to find it for the first time. Be like, whoa, this who, is who's seen this movie? movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Okay. So I think that, that pretty organically moves us into Joy and her relationship with Kay. This is such a great reversal of a trope. And I'm thinking specifically of the scene where her hologram body 
is superimposed on, I can't remember the character's name. It was Mackenzie Davis, the actress, imposed on her physical body. And usually it's, <laughs> you um, you use, a, it's like pretending to care about a personality so you can get their body. Whereas, but in this, he's just having to deal with the fact that she'll be embodied so he can have her personality more. Yeah. Right? Like he, it's just, it's an interesting reversal. Yeah, where he cares way more about her and like, personality. Talk about uncanny valley here. Like, oh god, there's some yeah. weird feelings you get from watching this. You're like, oh, this is, I don't like this. And just how she's, I guess, programmed again. But uh, what this would be like, maybe it's more poignant in romance. But where would you draw the line of authentic or meaningful between this thing is programmed? by a person to have these reactions to the way I am. And this thing is programmed by evolution to have the reactions to the thing that I am. Is it just like more real because it took millions of years instead of 25 years or however long well, it took joy to make? You I know? think this is the most interesting question of the movie. Yeah, I agree. To be honest yeah. is would you want to be loved if you knew the person who loved you had no choice in a romantic sense? Obviously there's parental love, I wouldn't say that they have no choice because there's a lot of shitty parents out there, <laughs> but I mean, they're programmed to like their children. Yeah, that's um, true. That's true. But I, I mean, so I guess the first question is, does she love him? I mean, we feel like she does, mm. but love doesn't think that she does. Well, the question is, is there anything on the inside? Yeah. Like, are the lights on inside anywhere? And it's just, it's, it's is a there harder consciousness thing. there? Well, it's a harder thing to say for a hologram than it is for a <laughs> replicant, replicant, isn't right? it? Because at least a replicant <laughs> takes up physical space in the world. But yeah, so th- this is just a, th- a thing with the tech, maybe, I guess. <laughs> I mean, oh, I, I actually think that this is what this movie does best because in the first one we're asked if it's a robot that is a, a, a indistinguishable from a human, is it a human? Now we're asked if it is a the ones in zeros comment i love it's like when he's looking at his dna and she's like you're all these combinations of and permutations she's like i'm just ones and zeros mm, and, she's like, and right. he's like but so much more elegant yeah 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 <laughs> well what do you think do you think that she is conscious well i i don't know i probably not and that's even more tragic <laughs> i think if she's not because he treats her like she is mm-hmm but I can't be any more sure that she isn't, I guess, than Kay isn't. Right. But but I, I think I have – well, there's, a, there's an intuition being pulled in a different direction here, but that because replicants are humanoid and bipedal and have faces, I can I, – it's an easier leap for me to think that, well, they, they have all of the hardware necessary. Right, for consciousness. <laughs> for, right. For right. consciousness. Which is for a while, with, as opposed to like with Joy, I'm like, well, okay, well, she's conscious. Does she have vision? But like, does she see things from where she's standing or from where the projection is? Right? Right. Like, is it the hardware or do the, but, but then how would the optical nerves, how would anything optical work at a projection like that? Like, can she smell? Can she hear? Is it where she's standing or is it at the emanator where it would be happening? Because that's the hardware being used to project her in the first place. So I think, this is very boring, but it's a tech-related thing that pulls my intuitions to feeling like I have less reason to think she's conscious. Which then makes, I think, the relationship that much more tragic, mm. right? But I mean, again, Ryan Gosling at his <laughs> finest, be, like think of Lars and the Real Girl, right? right? 
uh, which is, I don't know if this one will ever do, but it's a great film and I highly recommend it. Humans anthropomorphize non-human things. Mm -hmm. But see, (laughs) this could get technical, but whatever algorithm that's used to make joy remember a a memory or a funny comment that'll make Kay chuckle and whatever algorithm that's used in a human mind in a partner that makes you have a good memory and chuckle is just as equally a mystery to us, (laughs) right? Like whatever, what, like, because even presumably by the time we get to AI that is as sophisticated as joy is the programmer, him or herself or themselves or replicant self, whoever it would be, would be programming to pro to self program. Yeah. Right. So the the simulation <laughs> that the programmer would be running for the hologram joy by the time it got my guess. I mean, I'm not a tech would be person, running itself. Would be running itself. So it would be a mystery to the programmer as well. well how that, she might come up with that? That crazy line where she says to him, because he's going to erase her off of the house hard drive or whatever, and put her only on the emitter. And she says to him, just like a real girl. Yeah. Like, this and, is something that she desires. And that's kind of, he also likes that, yeah. weirdly, because he wants to be a real boy. <laughs> this is kind of a Pinocchio story, isn't it? Well, she does say, yeah. when they're, she said, I told you you were special, a real boy. Yes, yes. Right? Uh, I think that is a throwback, a little, totally. a little nod to Pinocchio. So I think Joy's participation in this movie is another great twisting of the dial on the thought experiment yes of consciousness because again equally mysterious to k how she's doing it and how his boss is doing it right now we can we we make folk psychology guesses based on human nature and our past relationships with people but you know i'm sure most people listening can understand the feeling when someone you know or around brings up something that you have no idea what made them think of that and then when they explain it, you're like, oh, okay, maybe. But the algorithm in their brain is a mystery to you unless they reveal it to yes, you, right? Yeah. I think part of the thing is it'd be the same without consciousness. So again, this isn't an inside out. It's like an outside in perspective of like, you just could never know the difference. So maybe eventually it would be kind of thing like once you get adapted to it enough, it would really not matter if something wasn't conscious. Yeah, because you wouldn't know. I guess there'd I mean, always be there'd always be the 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 nagging thought in the back of your mind, being like, "There's no way Joy could do that level of humor and memory and playfulness with, without being conscious." I just couldn't believe it. So, and then and and Love says to her when she's stomping on the emitter, she's like, "I hope you enjoyed our product, <laughs> right?" Yeah. But then Joy, Love is a product too, mm-hmm. and I mean. Yeah, there's a philosophic question between joy and love that I want to ask at the well, end. Well, um, you can, do, we it can now. do it now. So, yeah. like, so what's interesting about the distinction between love, love is, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, love is Neander Wallace's replicant that does all his dirty work for yes. him. Yes, <laughs> and it's like a, essentially like a, I don't know if Rachel is an angel and she is a demon kind of mm. thing, right? Um, she's the Rachel equivalent in this one, but she's not. A, she's got nothing good in her soul. Well, she she believes in the domination theory, or has been programmed by Wallace to be the domination. Yeah. Of, um, yeah, we need the slaves because we need to colonize, and she doesn't like. She just she doesn't seem to have a higher. And calling. he says to her, "You are my favorite." 
Right? Mm-hmm. Wallace says yeah. to her, or not, you're, you're my favorite, you're my best work, something along those lines. But what I find fascinating about calling, and I think this is entirely intentional, a lot calling her love mm. versus calling joy, joy, is joy is a giving, thoughtful, caring personality and presence, right? It's... um. It, it brings joy in a seemingly joyless world. The, the world, like this product, let's call her a product for now. This product is obviously created for lonely people and given to them, to people who can't otherwise get these things. Although interestingly, it seems to me that the intellectual relationship between Joy and Kay is very much focused on him, like you said, wanting to be a real boy and wanting her to be a real girl. And and it's and in that sense it seems pathetic, right? And then whereas so she's the representative of the concept joy, which is something that is given to us by other people, whereas love is per- portrayed to us as like a favoritism and an exceptionalism. And I'm not sure where I'm going with this. It's kind of like a, a nascent thought or whatever. But it it seems to me like the director and the screenwriter is making a point about whether one should pursue love or joy Mm. because it doesn't really matter to Kay whether she's real or not because he treats her like she is and he's experiencing the moments with her and appreciating the moments with her and 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 blessing her with things gifts right because of what the joy she brings to him he's trying to bring her joy right so it's like oh you don't have to be stuck in the house anymore because I've bought you this gift, which means you can go everywhere with me. Where's the first place you want to go? First thing she wants to do, experience the rain. Mm. Now, maybe that's yeah. just programmed into her. But again, <laughs> weird thing to program into something. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Yeah. And so then, otherwise, if you're pursuing the love, it's more well disastrous. Lo- I think. I think love as a as a concept as opposed to joy which is also i feel joy is more connected to awe and wonder whereas love can sometimes be more connected to possessiveness mm. um right. to dom- to domination sure. um to ownership yep right well yeah especially with the slave yeah aspect of right, this film right i don't know that's a thought so then what did you think yeah no i like that that's a that's an interesting tidbit what so what did you think about i thought it was so she seemed to be- love the replicant. Seemed to betray some of her desire to be noticed more personally too, though, because she has that one line she says to Kay when he's researching the replicant serial number he found early in the movie. Uh, it is invigorating to be asked personal questions. It makes one feel desire. Right. So right. she's like betraying there a little bit of sadness around impersonality and again we have a a motif of love because like what is love love is often in a sense presence i love that line right Mm. it's it 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 feels good to be asked personal questions because you know if someone's interested in you yeah that feels good well and it's like any great insight it floors you when you hear it 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 feels like a it's like a thunderbolt to your system yeah it's like you're right that is awesome there's something there's something titillating, and that's the like bottom of the scale, titillating to exultative to be asked a personal question by someone, especially someone who hasn't asked you many before. Right. So you're like potentially teetering on 
an interesting new future with this person. There's also a, a level of intimacy that, yeah. it, that you feel yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're revealing parts. Like you said earlier about Kay, they're not interested well, in knowing I mean, the details of him, and therefore they don't know him, and they don't know how he's going to act. But if someone is intimately... And then mm-hmm. Joy does this. She's intimately engaged in Kay's life. Now, again, is that programmed or not? <laughs> a good question, right? Well, I think what I like about what that part of the that line in the movie made me think is how... From a sociological point of view, so much of life is just routinized. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so you have a schedule, you have a you have a plan, you have a day plan, you you work this this amount of time. You have this you drive the same way to work all the time. It's just very uh repetitive. And never mind a personal question, but just somebody doing something in your day that in a little way not doesn't throw you off your routine but it it wasn't part of the plan so and it can be something as a joke or a comment or something beyond that day-to-day grind right and personal questions are maybe the end of that spectrum of oh my gosh yeah like now i have to think about something deeper again and i think people enjoy that yeah. You know, and and I think that that's what she's hinting at there. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, invigorating is the perfect word. It 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 makes it gives you energy. Yeah, to think that there is more to a lot of what I'm doing than I had just kind of unconsciously because, planned on yeah, doing I've today. Just been routinely doing it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess that just kind of reminds me of that. So okay, so Wallace, he had the replicant eyes. Hey, yeah, is he a replicant? Are we supposed to guess? Like, I didn't. Like, he see. Like, he did. He, I guess he's blind at the very least. He's and he, certainly. Then he has those machines he's a cyborg. Form. Right. Right. Yeah. Like whether he is a human born or replicant made, and maybe it's intentionally ambiguous. He is not fully human. Mm. So, he is. <laughs> it's funny because Jared Leto is such a good actor, and it's such a polished movie, but. He's like pretty committed to slavery. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's pretty committed to like I wouldn't call I don't know if I'd call it the great man theory of history or he he's just very committed to this idea that the future of humanity is more important mm-hmm. than anything else. Mm-hmm. He's like we should be ruling the stars. Well, yeah, I don't know if he necessarily needs it to be his name in the history books. I mean, no. maybe he would, but he he definitely understands and apparently has the stomach for what needs to be done yeah. to make going to the stars happen, which involves millions of replicant slaves yes. who are strong enough to get all the work done and yet um, Obedient have no human or, yeah. replicant rights or anything which, like that. going back to The Expanse is probably the most interesting thing about that show, which is like, what do you do when your workers are... In a, not only are they now... They're almost a different species than you. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. And so, like, there's all these great scenes where he makes a replicant and then kills her because she's not perfect. And then we see later he kills the replicant that looks exactly like young Rachel. Well, actually, Love kills that replicant. She, oh, right, she right, right. It, yes, but because the eye color was wrong. Yeah, and again, that was so. That scene was so uncanny with Deckard. Yeah. Being there with a, the like old Deckard and young Rachel. Isn't it interesting. I, this is just a side note, but you you notice the outfit that she's wearing, which is from the original, mm-hmm. and you're like, wow, that just seems so like, out of place. So out of place. Yeah. Like I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Her dress was more normal. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe we can give a second to... There's an assumption built in to Wallace's worldview, which is that civilizational growth or something like that is more important than human experience or conscious experience of most creatures. Yes. Right? Yeah. Now, I guess part of what the modern West has tried to do is find the best middle ground for those two things, growth and human experience. Or maybe it's, I mean, I would argue that individualism has focused far more on personal consciousness than civilizational growth. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, this is the argument that capitalists and others make is that in focusing on the individual, we've actually propelled society forward. Mm. But others have argued that the last 50 years there's been no societal advancement and that we've descended into kind of some kind of hedonistic pleasure seeking Mm -hmm. circle jerk yeah circle (laughs) jerk which which has taken away our ability to advance now i've always hated the word progress and i've gone on the progress ramp before Mm. because progress assumes that there's a goal what's the goal and I don't conquer s- more stars. Yeah, this is the interesting <laughs> thing. Why does he want to rule the stars? Yeah, I, I don't know. I do, uh, they don't. I does mean, he know? Well, right? or is it just a thing, an end in and of itself? Well, maybe there. Maybe he does want to be the great man who conquered yeah. the stars. Yeah. Leg- legacy. Like, does Elon want Mars named after him? Probably. Right. Well, we know he wants to die there. He'll be remembered if he gets there. He'll be remembered for. Longer than Julius Caesar or, mm, or sure. anyone else, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's hard to, but it's also really hard to quantify civilizational growth. Yeah, well, right? I think because a lot of it's done, done I think in the Elon's past. done a really good job of this. Mm. And essentially, he's like, look, there's a lot of things that could cause humanity to go to extinct. Mm-hmm. We need to up our chances of survival. Mm-hmm. So, civilizational, um, let's say, growth in his mind is we have to get on another planet. Mm. And I think like, I don't think that's Wallace's idea. They're on nine planets now. Like the growth will happen. I think he's, he's more of a, like a Julius Caesar, Napoleon kind of like, I want to conquer. Yeah. And, conquer and get more rich. And I need, yeah. And I need soldiers to do it essentially. Yeah, I guess he's actually kind of a more basic bad guy than he seems. He is pretty basic. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly. Yeah. And it, because of the mood of the film, it and and his weirdness, it doesn't feel that way. No, like he feels more like majestic. Yeah, than he actually is. Well, yeah, or or ominous maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Anna is the actual daughter of Rachel and Deckard, and she has a line. There's a little bit of every artist in their work. Yeah, I love <laughs> which that. Is so great. Or, or also, I've, I've used this on the on the podcast before. But you write what you know. Mm-hmm. And her line, if you have authentic memories, you can have real human reactions. Someone lived this. Yes, this happened. There's a little bit of every artist in their work. And I just, that's so true. Oh, yeah. You know, like just, what was it? Everybody's got one book in them. But real genius is if you can get more than one. Hmm. Because every, like, everyone can write a novel about their experience, their life. Yeah. And then fictionalize it in some sort. But like, can you imagine something different? Right. Is what's so interesting. But did she actually have the disease that she claimed to have? I don't have? think so. I don't I think, think so that's, either. That's the cover. Yeah, it is the cover, right? It's got to be. So. She's a replicant. So does she know? Or she's the descendant of a replicant. But she knew she was a replicant, the daughter of so Rachel. It's and also interesting, right? Because they have her die. 
of an autoimmune disease in the records. Yes, right. So she's also dead. Like they've covered this trail mm-hmm. extensively. But did does she know? She's that, a replicant. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. She knows know. that's her memory. So Yeah, I I loved that she I think was, she knows. I loved that she was only in the movie a little bit, but in a very meaningful way. Yeah, I also love that like the the place they hood her, hid her is making memories for replicants. Mm, yes. It seems like the ideal. And if she did know, that would explain why she's so remember she says I can't give you a better future, but I can give you a better past. To mm, yes, yes, yes. And, and yeah, it's, it's perf- almost like that's her gift mm. to the replicants. I wonder if she picked K. Right? To right. be the vessel for her memories. Could be. To But why did they need K at all? Why was K important to the story from any angle? To make it seem like if Wallace ever found out that they should be going for him instead, like yeah, have I mean, a double cover. You're like right, a, that's not made a cover. Clear. A cover story, and then if that cover's blown, an imposter to go after. Right, right. That's be I guess like a double. Which safety. is definitely what Wallace does. Yes, yes, true. Any other thoughts on her or the um, the group? The it was cool. There, it was very brief. Right? Yeah, and. It's cool that the... Logical that they would exist, but it was interesting that we see the one scene of Mackenzie Davis's character putting like a tracker in Kay's jacket, and then in Vegas, they show up to find him, and it's not Wallace's group. It's just, oh, it's this replicant rebellion group yeah. that hasn't been referenced once in any of the movies yet. But I think... Well, they find him, mm-hmm. but they don't find... like they, He's been left to die. Yeah, they find yeah, he's been left to die. They find him. They're interested in him because he's a blade runner and I think he's a just replicant. a good warrior and right. like they they need warriors. And like here's the thing, it's like she's a like the Mackenzie Davis's character mm. is a prostitute. Or or like that's her cover, maybe. Right. And like she's she's probably not like built for war and like even if she right. was, she's right. not at his level. Like this guy's been running around killing their best warriors for a while. So. Well, and they actually are the ones who reveal to Kay and the audience the actual plot twist. But they don't reveal that he's not who the, baby. the daughter is. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. That he's not the baby, but... Yeah. So how does Kay find out who the actual baby is? We we find out at the very end when they're walking up to the location. I assume that the resistance or whatever told him. Oh, yeah. Actually, okay. But. Right. So, I mean, it wasn't... It, it could feel ham-fisted, but the logic is sound, and it's been we've seen that kind of feeling in a lot of the other replicants before, yes. so yeah. it makes yeah. it makes sense that it would exist. And then <laughs> I actually don't really have anything to say about Deckard. No, <laughs> in this movie, other than the, the acting is actually better. Yeah, 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 it is. And I have to say that scene of him and Kay fighting in the hologram music room is right. incredible. Yeah, it was so With the cool. Skipping music, skipping and... music. Oh man, it was like I've. Ne- I remember in the theater and then watching it, I was reminded of it. Just something in a movie I've never seen before yeah. or never felt before, like jarring music playing and then off and then so many different songs and then them just cutting off. Yeah. I also I thought like it was the, so cool. the, the hologram Frank Sinatra moment. Mm. Uh, I thought that was really, yeah. it, it was perfect for the mood. Of and, the film. and how they made Vegas just this, uh, presumably a nuclear wasteland. Yeah. 
So is it, was it supposed to be a well, new Quinn? I mean, there? that's interesting because you got the guy who's looking at the wood and he's saying there's only one place with that much radiation in the world. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it was Vegas. And they talk about a blackout mm-hmm. a few times. So is maybe that like the epicenter of a blackout? Yeah, was, yeah, they, was Vegas? Yeah, who knows? Because it's like immediately, Caden knew what he was talking yeah. about when he said that. Maybe that was during the Replicant Rebellion. Mm-hmm. So then, I think the only other scene that I made a note on or impacted me is um, right near the end where Kay is walking like he's lost joy. He's back. He's learned about the resistance. He hasn't decided to help Deckard yet. Although that scene is really cool where he saves him in the water. Yes. Oh, that's it's a great scene it's with the so, music. Also yeah, 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 yeah. Very Blade Runner-esque. Hey? Yeah, yeah. But he's walking and he sees a, like a massive version of Joy, but it's the, like the base. It's the advertisement. Co- advertisement yeah. commercial. It's very dystopian, like a very one of the most dystopian moments of the yeah, movie. It's this gigantic yeah. naked hologram bending over to say hello to him. And I just couldn't help but feel like there was an inevitability to all of this sadness, where he sees reflected back at him the woman he loves, but in a skeletal form yeah. of, of nothing she was. And I mean, I guess maybe it's just that scene seems to be what changed his mind to go help. And I wonder what it was in that scene. I think it's that joy. He felt joy was murdered mm. and he wanted the people who murdered her to pay. Okay. Yeah. That's a good interpretation. Pay, pay for taking her. Cause I, I think whether we believe that joy is a conscious being or not, it didn't matter to Kay because mm. to him, yeah. he wasn't even sure he was a conscious agreed. being. Agreed, agreed. And I, I, well, that's a slightly happier interpretation. I, I felt like it just it overwhelmed Kay, like just how this entire world is set up for nothingness, right? Like just like the big empty pleasure, yeah. And all of his aspirations have come crashing down, and yet he can still ignite that spark with that only really as far as his world concern is concerned exists in him now to go help this baby essentially yeah. right like save deckard so that cuz eventually well i mean he'll be tortured whether or not they get any information out of him and that was one smart thing they did is tell deckard nothing nice. so he yeah. could even if he was tortured he wouldn't, wouldn't matter go. yeah it's kind of like his rage against the big empty yeah. You know, was to yeah. go save Deckard and then introduce him to his daughter, which is a beautiful scene. Which is also like, it's like, I can't have this thing that I desperately want, which is for you to be my father, but I can give that to someone. Yes. And yes. I also thought there was a cool synergy there between the daughter giving memories to Kay mm-hmm. and Kay giving the, f- or the, the, the future the future. memory. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the father who is a memory but never met. Yeah. So now we have a future together. Yeah, you're right. That is a cool symmetry. And then, and I didn't know this, but I guess he dies at the end. Is that what happens to Kay? Yeah. Well, he's just kind of lying there, looking up at the snow, bleeding out essentially. How does did he get shot? Yeah. Oh, oh, what from the water? Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, right. Not in that scene. So yeah, we're just like I guess well, he maybe dies. Maybe he didn't die, but it looks like sure. he's dying. Sure. And I mean, it's mirroring the kind of death of the last mm. episode, right? So then... Or sorry, not the last episode, the last movie. <laughs> well, it'll still be the last yeah. episode as well. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, this movie... 
it had some cool parts. It didn't, I wasn't thunderstruck with massively different things to talk about from the first one, but I think like a couple, I don't know. what did you think? Oh, I mean, this is what a movie should be. I loved watching it. I love the emotions that I felt from it. I love the acting. I love the questions I'm left with. Just mm-hmm. go watch it. Yeah, it's You'll so good. It. It's so worth watching. I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching the first one. Like, watch it because it'll make this one better. Mm-hmm. But, like, this one is definitely a, a two thumbs up. Highly recommend. Go and see it. Yeah, you I think will, you. If you like movies, you will like. This. I think you have to watch Blade Runner so that Blade Runner twenty forty nine will have a much more emotional yes appeal and impact. You can watch twenty forty nine by yourself, and it's a good story, but it'll be it'll, it'll, it'll ten, it will be a lot better if, yeah. if you. And I, I noticed that as well because I hadn't watched the first one sh- shortly before right. watching the right. the second one. But then I have for this pod mm-hmm. for this podcast now, and yeah, it just it's. It it's does cool to see the yeah they do a great a job lot of, of nods and you know yeah. there's a lot of Easter eggs for the fans which is just great. I think yeah I was I was mostly left with more questions about like dangling questions of like well what counts as a person and maybe that's not even the right question and just like the loveliness of Kay's aspirations right and the mood is it, I don't know these, the music also just yeah. Uh, I love the soundtrack. These Blade Runner movies are so, so deep. Yeah. But still so, like, feel great to watch. They so, yeah. Really and I and I do think 2049 is a better movie on the whole than the original. So. Yeah. All right. Well, there we are. There we are. Thank you for listening. You can um, follow us, or not follow us, join yeah, our like Facebook our group, like our page on Facebook <laughs> and stay up. Stay updated that way with new uh, episodes. You can subscribe on all of the major apps. And if you subscribe on iTunes or the uh, Apple Podcast, if you like the show, if you leave a rating or review, that would be really awesome. We'd appreciate it. And you can send us an email at reallytruefiction at gmail.com. And this has been another episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. My name is David Parker. May the force be with you. And also with you.